Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. The Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices a practical guitarist will love. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash practical guitarist or on Twitter as at practguitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com and donate to us via Patreon available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Hello, Jim. Hello, David. Um, it's Sunday evening. I have the Sunday evening blues. It's <laughs> <laughs> you ever get like through the whole weekend and you're like, man, everything's going so good. And then all of a sudden it's like Sunday evening. and You're like, oh, crap. Yep. Like, I didn't do anything this weekend. I don't think I got anything accomplished. I didn't, you know, um, basically just a bunch of shit like that. So I, I, I felt like that today at work, too. The only good thing going on this weekend is I get to do the podcast. So, yeah. Um, so I I spent this evening rewiring my board. Did you see the pictures? Not yet. Okay. So I, I think I sent them to you and Nick Bongers in our group chat. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So um, it's the probably the tidiest wearing job I've done, but it's not good. <laughs> Usually they look oh. a lot worse than that. Usually they look a lot worse than that. Um, and of course I don't have enough pedals to fill up that board anyway. So nope, not even um, close. <laughs> I'm using the uh the pedal power or the pedal power, the uh Voodoo Lab medium. And the reason I went with the medium is because the the small was gonna be too small, and that's literally the only size up is the medium. So yeah, I know I know at some point I'm probably gonna put other stuff on there. I, I gotta put my looper on there, I haven't put that on there yet. So I know the second row will eventually get filled up, but um and some of the pedals that are on there are probably gonna come off. You got your fifty fifty out there. Be replaced. Yeah, Jim, Jim, yes, I have the fifty fifty there. So I like the fifty fifty. It's a good two fifty. That's a DOD two fifty copy with uh two channels of DOD two fifty. So basically, um it's a pair of DOD two fifties in one box. Um growing up, I was a big fan of the DOD two fifty. I had the YJM three oh eight, I had a DOD two fifty at one point. I think I had a gray box. I know I've played a great box. I think I bought one at some point and sold it. Um, I had the 250 a long time ago. Or I mean, yeah, 250. Yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, so the only difference is this is two in the same box. It's got some clipping options. Um, I I actually like the clipping options on it. However, I kind of just feel like I'm growing out of the 250. It's really gritty. Um, it's a gritty sounding overdrive, and I feel like I can better accomplish that with a fuzz face. Um, and I think it gets me a little further into the grit territory than I would with a with an overdrive. Um, the 
I I'm unabashedly the reason why I like the DOT two fifty was because I would use it with a Marshall and I would do the engaging Malmsteen thing where I just had it cranked all the way up and um it would sound right. pretty cool. Yeah. But it, so for those of you who've never done it, like if you do that with with a Marshall and you have the Marshall dimed and you put a DOD two fifty in front of it, it's gonna be in a box. But the thing is it's just feedback and noise and like he has to use a noise gate. I mean, that's the only way he can play. Um, and and it, I don't even think it eliminates the noise. I think it just knocks it down because <laughs> it's. I mean, it's ridiculous. Oh, especially um, with uh, what kind of strat is he using? Is he using the? Well, he's um, got noiseless pickups in his, yeah. so that's something you got to remember. Yeah, but the noiseless pickups. All right, as somebody who had had some of the, we'll talk about that. Um, noiseless pickups. Who has noiseless pickups? Uh, they're not as noiseless as noiseless, if you know what I mean. No, well, it depends on the pickup you're using too, because the Fender Noiseless, the ones they're putting out right now, the they're stack singles, right? They're as noiseless as a humbucker is, because that's what they are. Um, and obviously, humbuckers are they they lose a lot of the noise, but there's always still something left over. Uh, the problem with the DoD 250 is not really the that kind of noise. Um, it's the it's just the white noise it generates. They're a noisy freaking pedal. Um, you're just basically hitting an op amp as hard as you can. Yeah. And that's how it's achieving its saturation. And so um, it's cool design. If you're into esoteric stuff, I mean, the DoD 250 is shockingly esoteric. Um, but I really think that, I mean, I don't, I don't have an overdrive pedal I like. Um, I've owned a bunch of different overdrive pedals at this point. I mean, I've had, so I'm going to go down the line. I'll just give you the archetypical ones that I've owned. I've owned um, the DoD 250 in various incarnations, the Blues Driver in various incarnations, including the uh, um, Angry Driver, which that I liked. Um, the the Crunchbox. I'm right Angry over Driver. here. By the right. Way. <laughs> We're going to talk about that because I, I haven't asked you what you thought about it yet. Um, the uh, the Crunchbox side of that, which is the the based on the Angry Charlie right um that's that's cool um but i don't think that's an overdrive pedal i i perceive that as a distortion pedal like it gets beyond drive um i've owned several tube screamers in my time a ts7 um the ts handwired um and of course i played them all you know the 808 and all that stuff before before um i've owned several clon copies i had the archer icon and i had the seems like I have another soul food. That's that you know, it's a cheapy clon clone. Um, probably should check that out. Um, but I, I mean, just thinking about like all the drives that when I've owned a super overdrive, and I've owned, I mean, going through the list of like all the crazy because I've had all the the common ones, and I've had some exotic stuff too. Like I've had the Ethos overdrive. Um, and part of our conversation before the show is like I was kind of messaging Jim back and forth, and I mentioned the Ethos overdrive, and I was like, I should have kept it. Um, as much as like that was a hole in my pocket. That was a six hundred and fifty dollar overdrive pedal when I bought it. Now I believe the same overdrive pedal, brand new, is seven hundred fifteen bucks. Um, it it's not an overdrive pedal. First off, it's misleading because it's 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 really a preamp, right? Um, and what it actually does is it gives you the dumble sound in a box. And I've had some other pedals that do that really well too. I had the um, mix, mix the oh J Rocket. So they make the Icon, right? 
they also make the dude. And I had the dude and I had it on a cheap budget board, which was like basically gave me the same sounds I was getting on my big board. Um, but it, you know, smaller pedals, smaller form factor, whole thing. And the the J Rocket dude was one of the few pedals that I kind of feel like got close to the to the ethos. Um, so I've been kind of thinking about like maybe I should get another ethos overdrive and just bite the bullet. I know they're expensive. I know that I can't really use it in all scenarios where I play, but I feel like what it did give me was good enough and made me happy enough that I could get away with it in a lot of different situations. So what, what I think my, my biggest problem, and this is where I'm having this tonal crisis, which I wanted to talk about on the show. I have an extreme aversion to high frequencies. Um, it has been told to me many a time by many a guitar player when they listen to my mixes that there's no high frequencies in my signal that I cut things like too, too low. Um, and that, uh, I don't stand out in the mix because of that. And, but my guitar sounds are never thin either. Um, they're usually very full and muscular. So the last like two years, I've made a conscious effort to dial in more high end than I normally would. And when I say high end, I'm talking about like presence, like the really top stuff, the the uh, the fizziness and all that. Um, I if I could shelve an amp, I mean, I would. I would literally just take off everything above, you know, six and a half K and uh, just leave it warm. And then, you know, of course, tighten it up and stuff and and hopefully get what I want out of it. Um, my Mesa Boogie, everybody does the DV thing on uh, the Mark series. I typically take my high slider and I'm pulling it back below below 50% on the on the slider. Um and it's just because I like to round off that um that set of frequencies. Now something happens when you have a tube amp. Uh at bedroom volumes those frequencies aren't as prominent and that's because of the the uh, equal volume curve, right? So if I turn it up, automatically you get all this presence and all this treble. And that is where I'm like, I don't like that sound. Um, I like it to be within proper ratio with everything else. So the Marshall sound to me, when you're playing at a bedroom volume, is very thin, right? Because people, if you use the same tone control as you do when you turn it up, because when you turn it up, the mids tend to overpower everything else and the low mids start to take over. Um, and I think that's always been something that I'm happier with. Um, I had a PRS Sanzera, the the hundred watt or the it's a hundred watt head, I think, and that head is a hundred watt or fifty watt. I don't remember, but that head sounded really good, um, but only when it was turned up. And that was the same thing with my Mark V right now. Is it sounds really good, but only when it's turned up, and um, it's just driving me crazy. So I pull out. So I get my pedal board laid out right. So to give you kind of idea what the signal path is, I have a, a compressor running into um, my warp vinyl, which is like a chorusy thing, and then that runs into um, the DoD two fifty, or in this case, it's going to be the the fifty fifty um, from Pelican Noise Works, and then um, from there, I'm running into the um, Source Audio Fuzz, the purple one, right? Um, and I just to test my board, make sure all the connections were good. I basically just plugged in my Vox Pathfinder and 
it's a little 15 watt solid state combo from the late 90s early 2000s um and man is it i so that 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 thing sounds really good clean like i can take it and i can rehearse with it clean but the second you put like any sort of dirt in front of it or you try to overdrive it or anything like that it just sounds horrendously bad um which is funny because i've seen videos of people using them with like boosters and stuff up front and maybe it's just the Vox sound. Maybe I just don't like the the Voxy sort of EQ and stuff about it. But um, I plugged into it and I just, dude, I had a crisis. I sat there and I was like, this is like, as much as I know these pedals sound good, they do not sound good through this. And I have that moment that I've had several times with the amplifiers and stuff where I plugged in and I've just been like, it sounds like crap. And I'm I'm just not happy with the way that things sound right now. Now, um, I played that gig. Friday night, I was a benefit gig, and um, we had we had good turnout. We we raised quite a bit of money for um, local charity, and um, we had three or four bands. I mean, it was there was a lot of people there, and uh, I can just remember my sound because I had my I had my Mark Five Twenty Five cabinet in my head, and I was also running direct out PA, and um, it was okay. It's a little thin, you know, and I think part of it's my guitar right now probably needs to, to have the truss rod adjusted. I'm hearing too much uh, fret rattle, but um, I could just that annoying high end thing was going on and I'm like, I was just getting very frustrated and I think my ears are probably fatigued. I don't know what's been going on in my life that's causing my ears to be fatigued right now, but I just feel like, I don't know, I'm just, I'm, I'm very, I'm generally unhappy with the way that my guitar sounds in, in pretty much every setting. Um, and I don't know whether it's the guitar. I don't, you know, because I, I have multiple guitars, obviously, right? And like, I'm not happy with really the way any of them sound right now. Um, I'm not way. I'm not really happy with the way they feel. I'm just depressed about it, and it sucks because, like, I know I can play, but I don't. I don't have any joy to listen to the sound of me playing. You know what I mean? Like, I just rather play silently at this point. Um, and and uh, I go through these periods, and it's it's it sucks um actually the gig the other night i i didn't play to my the best of my ability first off um just to be completely brutally honest with everybody um i was distracted i know at least two songs i started in the wrong key because i started in the original key not the key that we played in um i just wasn't thinking and i wasn't focused and um i i don't know so everybody was cool. Like I talked to everybody after and I was like, yeah, I apologize. Like played like crap tonight and so forth. And everybody, most of the band was like, yeah, you full shit. Um, but I, you know, I'm my worst critic. And so I was not happy. Yeah. They didn't catch it. If they didn't catch it, it wasn't. Oh no. They caught it because we played about four bars with me in the wrong key before oh. <laughs> I was like, I was just looking at the band. Like, what the hell are you guys doing? And then it yeah. dawned on me. They're like, they're like key of G. And I'm like, oh crap! I'm playing in, I'm playing in the key of G sharp. Like, oh, <laughs> put my head in my hands. So I'm, so I'm looking head. at your, I'm looking at your fifty fifties right now online. Yeah, and there's there's only five on <laughs> reverb. Yeah, oh. and they they range from two hundred and forty nine dollars to eight hundred and sixty nine dollars. Yeah, but they don't sell <laughs> for that. No, I know. I'm just saying, I couldn't possibly give you the. <laughs> I mean, they're not going to, dude, honestly, 
for those pedals to go to four hundred to go at four hundred dollars is probably nuts. Um, yeah. Do you well, I see it? the guy that the guy that had it at three hundred has had to knock it down to two two fifty. I'm looking to see. I want to see what they sold for. I the, actually the best bet. I would just go into the uh, the sixty cycle hum group and sell it for, you know, just right. say what do you guys want to give me for it and sell it for what because because that's where the market is right like most of people want to right. be aware of sixty cycle hum and that and that would be the best way to sell it. Um, I'm looking to see what sold listings are going for because it's because it's interesting. I don't really want to so. The DOD 250 conversation comes out of the fact that I was like, I'm not really happy with the DOD 250 sound. And I think right. that's I that's part of my problem, right? So I'm here I am with this drive pedal and I'm going, um, I think I've just grown out of the fifth the, the 250. And right. um I see that there's some sold listings for 279, 175 bucks, 200 Yeah, see I'd I'd be comfortable at 200 Yeah, if we could do if we could do two hundred, I'll I'll sell it to you. Cause I I, I mean, honestly, the real reason I bought it was not because I wanted to keep it forever, but it was because it was like, I want to give 60 cycle hum my money, you know? And, um, if I could get 200 out of it, then I'll be thrilled. Um, I'm not, I'm not I think it was what profit. That's not what I bought it for. You know? Yeah. I was going to say it was like, like a hundred core or a hundred forty or a hundred. I don't know. They, they have, so I don't remember what the price I have to go look. Cause I paid the inner circle price. Cause I was a member of the inner circle at the time, but I'm, I'm, I stopped paying my dues a long time ago. They haven't kicked me out of the group yet. I just don't. Uh, Ryan, kick him out of the group. Yeah, Ryan, if you feel like you need to kick me out, I'm sorry. Um, I'm just broke. And right to the curb. I'm just broke, and I can't. Like, if I have to support a podcast, it's going to be my own at this point because I can't. I Like, we're broke. <laughs> Literally broke. Um, so, um, I don't know. It's a good pedal. I just, and the only reason I'd be, I'd be comfortable giving you 200 is because I know you and I know you take care you know, of your gear. I, yeah, dude, I don't like, know these people. I barely use it too. And yeah. so the angry driver, let me let me know what you think of it. Like what because yeah, I'm sure you plugged it in at this point and tried it out. Oh. Um how how was it? I like it. Um so what I did was I created my you know my open mic pedal board. So I created uh I, I bought a little um metro mm -hmm. and uh just put a cheap one spot power strip to it. And I put a CM, uh, CBM 95, which is the miniature uh, uh, wah pedal. Didn't go big. Care. Got a TU3. Yeah. Uh, the Angry Driver. And I'm looking for something in the reverb line. Or not, I'm sorry, delay line. Yeah, Maybe. I That's not a big, because I'm using the katana. I can get the reverb or the or the delay from the katana, so it's not a big deal. And I have the katana foot switch, so I always feel like um, reverb is the one thing that everybody gets stuck on, that they have a harder time finding a good reverb box. Um, I think I was looking at the Canyon. It's a cool pedal. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I was looking at that too. Um, and right now I'm looking at uh, custom tones. What is that? JHS Canyons? No, that's uh, Canyons is uh, Electroharmonics. EH, that's right, EH. Um, dude, I'm looking at, I'm on reverb right now, and I'm looking at custom tones. That's Ethos, you know, who makes the overdrive, Ethos overdrive and the Ethos. I was looking at TWE those. one. Yeah, so there's one on here for $1,400. You're Holy. out of your mind. 
Now, I was looking at the ethos right before you and I were talking, the ethos drive. Yeah. And honestly, that's why I said, well, I, if you were going to go buy the ethos, I would buy your, your what you call it, because uh, that would be, you know, I that don't would know help if you. I, I, dude, I don't know if I'm going to buy an ethos or not again. I, I will say this. It is, it is an excellent direct pedal board solution. Um, the direct out on it for, for going to the board is really good. Um, and that's I, one of the features I actually miss on it. But the thing I don't like about it is the speaker surmounts on an XLR. So it's not, that's not a deal breaker, but it's, you know, it makes it a little bit diff more difficult to use. Um, my assumption is because it's not XLR, I probably still need to pick up a, um, a direct box to go with it. I'm looking at an ethos custom, uh, custom tones, ethos overdrive. Yeah. They say it's in very good condition. For five hundred and twenty dollars plus twenty five dollars shipping. Yep, yep. That, that that sounds about right. Um, what you got to watch out with the ethos though is it's got a bunch of mods that you can get out from the factory, like from Rob over at Custom Tones when you order it, and basically they're twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, and sixty bucks these mods. So you can take a pedal that's normally like I think they're stock, they're like five hundred bucks, and you can easily buy that same pedal for like. 715 bucks i had all of the features on mine i just paid up front and i said you know i want everything on it um i wish that i had you know i might have a record of who i sold it to i ought to go back to him and be like yeah i'll give you what I, what you paid for it and just see According if i can buy it back from him standard models come as either classic or tle the right side switch lets you choose between the two voicing this was a 79 dollar option and he paid it yeah i mean there's more than one mod though. There's like five. Oh, yeah. There's like five of them, right. which is, um, I, I kind of want to have another loaded one. So here's a 2013. I wonder if this is mine. It looks like it could be. I don't know. He's got the original box, so that's probably not mine. Uh, I think I did ship mine in the original box. Yeah, this could be it. And that would piss me off. Moving on. Um, <laughs> holy free, holy fourteen hundred seventy-one dollars. Yeah, that guy's crazy. I'm thinking that one that that you just listed. Holy. Well, well, I thought about getting the train wreck. So they make this new one, right? The TWE one, which is based on a train wreck, and that right. pedal sounds really cool. Um, if you go watch um, Pete Thorne's video of it, you can see that he actually has marked on his where he's putting the settings because he's been using it live. Um, I don't know who yeah. with, but he really likes it, and um, he's been using it playing out and that's a really really high mark in my opinion somebody like pete thorne who really really has the ability to play pretty much anything he wants um has the twe one and he's using it um yeah. i don't know that the train wreck sound is my thing so that's another another whole piece of the puzzle here i think the speaker choice i'm gonna go down a speaker journey at some point it's gonna happen i'm getting kind of bored with v30s um v30s right. are in everything um, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if I don't end up going more American speaker route, because again, going back to the whole thing about my high frequency annoyance, uh, yep. I think that going to something like a Jensen speaker or any of the other American flavored speakers that have like kind of this more focused sound might, right. might, um, eliminate some of that. And I know people think all oh, the speakers are scooped, um, and, and they're probably right. You know, that that's that's the other issue that that is going on there. It's like I don't want to get something that doesn't have any mid range either because I do want a lot of mid range. Big fat mids right. is kind of my thing. 
Um, so I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm in a rock and a hard place. I'm really, really discouraged right now because I, I mean, like I'm at, I, right now I'm playing probably the highest ability I've ever played. Um, I'm doing new stuff every time I go out. Um, I'm, I'm playing country music for right, right now. I mean, to put it in perspective, I took a friend to the show, uh, to the benefit show. He was in town. We went, he sat, he listened to me, comes up after the show. He goes, that was a weird experience. And I said, what do you mean? He's like, I'm so used to hearing you just play like, you know, all this shred stuff and going super fast and just, you know, needly deedlies and all this stuff. And he's like, and then I hear you playing country music. And he's like, yeah, that had to, he's like, I watch you take a second before you do something and you like think it out <laughs> before you do it. And he's like, yeah. and then you, and then you pull off these licks that are, you know, they sound good. Insane. Like, yep. um, but he's like, I just never thought I would hear you play country music. And <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And it's just happening naturally too. It's not like I got up in the morning and said, Hey, today I'm going to, you know, rip off some Brad Paisley licks or something like that. It just crazy happened right? that way. And, um, I, you know, we, you've listened to amps and axes. I'm sure you've heard of the players yeah. on there who are like, well, I just said I want to learn to play jazz. So I got into a jazz band. Like instead of like actually learning to play yeah. jazz first, they just yeah. went and joined the band, you know? Well, that was, yeah, I, I can't tell you that. I, I wish I could say it's different for me, but it's not. That's what I, you know, what I, I decided that I was going to play, give, you know, insert st musical style here. That's what I did. I grew up, my father listened to country music. So I learned to play country and Western. And then I learned to play rockabilly because my uncle listened to it. Right. My other uncle listened to this. So that's what we listened to that. And my mother was a pop music person. And, and then, you know, I, I learned to play bass because we needed a bass player. So learn to play rush because we were playing rush songs it was just you never really think about the work that goes into it until afterwards and you go wow i'm gonna load of work in that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and i think that's i mean i think the sink or swim attitude makes people better players um i think you sort of have to have an aptitude for that attitude though in the sense that you do like if you've never if you've never played a blues lick in your life and then you're like, I'm going to join a blues band. You have to have like a precursory knowledge about how to do the things that are associated with that style of music on guitar. In the sense that, yeah, um, somebody who's never played lead in their life, like doesn't know how to play a single note line is not going to get up and be like, I'm going to play the blues today and I'm going to be really good at it. Um, yeah. You have to have the, the perfunctory skills that can drive that that decision making. Like I didn't get up and and go, I'm going to just start doing, you know, chicken picking today. Like that's not, I, I mean, right, I knew how to do right. it already. I just never had like assembled all the skills into a package and actually played it. Um, so I'm lazy. Cause I only do three fingers. Yeah, I do. I do all of them. I yeah. just realized I had to look, I was like, wait, yeah, yeah, I use them all. Like just depends on what <laughs> I'm doing that day. <laughs> I will use as few fingers as possible when it comes to chicken. Fingers. If I get away with two, I'm oh, dude. I'm tapping and everything else is hilarious. Like I'm chicken picking, and all of a sudden I'll start like tapping arpeggios, and um, that's what Brad Paisley will do. About it. Yeah, it's people look at me like I'm nuts when I when I play this music, but it's <laughs> it's okay. I don't care. Um, we're playing a lot of standards too, which is you know like the circle being broken and and uh, 
I, you are my sunshine. You are my sunshine, yep. and you are my sunshine. And so many of these songs have so, the same po- chord progression, and we play them all right. in the same key, and we mash them all up, and we do them all together. You know, so it's like ten so, minutes of us playing like standards, basically. So, um, true story. I never played a ukulele in my life. Yeah, right? it's an easy instrument and, to play because the tuning's great. Yeah. So somebody asked me because they had never played a ukulele. They said, "Is this a good ukulele?" I'm like. <laughs> and so and so i just sat and i played a song on it yeah but they said oh that sounds great how long have you been playing ukulele i said just now yeah <laughs> literally just now. about seven and a half minutes <laughs> yeah how long have we been talking <laughs> yeah that's how long you've been playing ukulele and, and they couldn't believe it they were like no you've played ukulele before i said no i really haven't but i mean after a while, you get used to what a bend does. You get used to, I mean, for some people, bending is a muscular thing. For me, bending is a is a total thing. If I can't hear my guitar, I sound like crap. I mean, total crap. And so some people, it's like, okay, I got to put my third finger on the B string at the eighth fret, and then I'm going to let go of that and have my first finger on the fifth string. And, the, you know, and I'm like, I don't know what you're doing. I... I just freaking make noise. <laughs> um, yeah, well, in my, my, my family, we, we talk about this and we were talking about actually the other night because, um, of course, my, my parents come to some of my shows and they were there and they were talking to my buddy who was, who was there. Um, and uh, they were talking about the fact that like many people in my family can pick up an instrument and just play it. It's not like they have to sit down and figure it out. Like once they figure out which notes which and how to play a chord, then they go to town. Um, and I think there is a natural aptitude for that, but I think that's not like virtuosic either. I think uh, there's a lot of people who are no, who, no. Who what I would consider multi-instrumentalists who are really good at a couple of instruments, but they're not like, they're never going to be as good as like the people who are the masters of that instrument. Um, and that's okay. Cause let's face it for 99% of your playing needs, um, a multi-instrumentalist is going to be able to get through it. They, most of your songs on the radio are not going to require Nettie Van Halen, you know. Um, it, so I guess it works for a cover man situation. My whole thing has always been that I want to be the guy that's like mastered my instrument so that I don't have to worry about somebody saying, hey, can you play bass on this song? No. <laughs> no, that's not what I do. You know, you're not you're not relegated to playing bass. That's not to say that I don't have the ability to pick up other instruments and play them. Um, but I'm not going to offer that up as, you know, how good I am on other instruments and stuff. I play keys, I play drums, I play bass, I play, and I actually, now I've been told I'm pretty good at bass, which shocking to me. Um, and doesn't mean that I'm going to like drop everything and be like, oh, now I'm going to play all my own, you know, stuff on my records. Cause I want a real bass player. I don't want a guitar player's interpretation of what a bass player would play, um, which is what I am. So, um, but yeah, no, multi-instrumentalist, big thing. And we actually had a couple of multi-instrumentalists in the band um, for, for this last show. So Old Stumpy is usually, it's me, uh, Kyle Tash, John Olson, Johnny Tash, and um, Bill Tash. So three brothers, and then uh, myself and John Olson. Um, John Olson is jokingly the fourth brother. And then, of course, for this show, we had um, Mike and Olivia who's Mike Tash, the fourth bro- the real fourth brother, uh, who I played with many years ago, and uh, his wife, Olivia. 
And um, it was a different experience. I think that was part of the reason why I sucked <laughs> because we had a key player sitting in with Mike Tash was playing keys and he was sitting in with us. And he, we, we jammed me the other night and he was very open about, you know, Hey, let me come in and do some solo work here and there. And like, let me take a couple solos. And I was not doing a good job of like feeling out whether he was playing the solo or whether I was playing the solo. And so we were stepping on each other's toes a little bit, but also because of that, the keys. So he was mixing while he was sitting there. Um, he had, he had the uh, PA mixing software on his, on his iPad. And uh, he kept turning my, my mix up and down. And so for like part of the show, I know the audience couldn't even hear me. Um, but I quickly nerfed that. And then I know later on he was goosing the volume on his organ. And I, it was, it was frustrating. It was kind of infuriating. I, I really actually wish he just kind of left it alone. Um, Cause we had a good mix in the beginning. Everybody, I, cause I, I always like people that are there with me. I ask them to give me a thumbs up if everything sounds cool. Um, and just be, you know, pay attention to whether they can hear everything and like the balance is cool and clear. And I got a thumbs up and then he starts messing with things. And I'm like, you can't hear the main mix. You're sitting, you know, in the band, like don't mess with the mains, leave it alone. Um, and it, I think he was just concerned, like people weren't able to hear him or whatever. Well, no, everyone could hear him. He's playing an organ. I mean, it's like the most dense in instrument you could possibly hear in an audience. <laughs> There's no way you're not hearing an organ. Um, he does have, he has that vent pedal though, the, the ventilator. He has that and it sounds great with the organ. Um, he doesn't use the inbuilt Leslie sound. He's got a Nord, um, a Nord keys thing and he doesn't use the inbuilt Leslie. He uses wow. the uh, ventilator because the ventilator sounds much better. And um, I have been looking for a mini vent for a while and they're hard to find, um, but I'd like to have one. I think it's a cool pedal and I'd like to have it on my board. Yeah. So, you know, if we, if, you know, light life changes and I get some money. Yeah. I actually have money right now. That's the stupid part. I have gear fund. I actually mm -hmm. have gear fund, but I don't have anything oh. I even want to buy. I mean, an ethos. There's an ethos. <laughs> there's the ventilator. Um, but I'm like, I'm to the point where it's like, I don't want to buy anything. Cause it's just, I'm not going to be happy with it eventually anyway. Or, I yeah. have needs that I would rather meet than that. Cause I was, we had two monitors again. There's four people in the front line. Wait, one, two, three, four. Yeah. Uh, five people in the front line. I'm down on the far right. And I have a monitor that's like one person over. And I, it, it drives me nuts. Cause I can't hear. I'm like, I'll just get my own monitor and just throw it on the floor and be totally happy. But that's 200 bucks out of my pocket, you know? Um, it's a crappy situation to be in. <laughs> you play with a band and the PA is inadequate. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I'm not expecting them to clean up my mess in that regard. Like I would rather have the monitor so that if I go into another band situation, I have it, you know, I could just say, exactly. I got my own monitor. Don't worry about, um, <sighs> so right now guitar center, I guess you put the ad in there. It said, uh, they're doing a special where they're selling a head rush with a, <laughs> FRFR. That's not Guitar Center. That is Sweetwater. Oh, Sweetwater. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's Sweetwater? Yep. Wow. Uh, two days. So if you're interested in a head rush, you can buy head rush and get the head rush FRFR cab to go with it. Uh, that's pretty darn good. Yeah. I mean, if you're interested in the head rush. Yeah. I mean, you're going to spend 900 bucks on the, on the, uh, 
program, you know, the processor anyway. So you might as well get the, the you know, the floor cabinet going with it. Um, oh, so yeah, if you're in free. the market, do it, you know. Um, and that's that's a whole other thing, man. So, like, now I got the Kemper, right? And I've been playing it, and I've been happy with it. But I, I, I've been struggling because I go to these gigs, and, like, I never know what I'm getting out of the PA. Um, my cabinet sounds okay to my ears, I guess. Um, but I'm still kind of, like, fumbling through what I should sound like with this band. And just remember, just remember, as far as the PA goes, the front of house, you almost never have any control. No, so I know, but it's, it's one of those things where no matter what you do, people are going to hear whatever, whatever the person controlling the mix does. Yeah. And, and it's, well, um, my biggest concern is that like I go into a gig and then, um, my sound's just not great. I did have some volume issues and they weren't related to the PA. Um, my drive sound was way too hot compared to my clean. I had to actually tweak it mid set, which is not fun on the Kemper. Um, cause you have to go to each preset store, you know, or each, um, on a performance, there's like three slots. You have to go to each slot and store the slot. And it, it's like, Oh God, I, I, in fact, I think I stored one slot between one song and then the next song I stored the other one. <laughs> so I just remember yeah. like, don't hit channel three, like keep it on one and two, yeah. don't, don't hit three. <laughs> Um, you know, um, and I just, the, the, the main thing is, is the treble, the treble thing. Like, I think for what I'm doing in that band, because it's an acoustic band, I don't want any real like treble frequencies going on. If I'm playing right. my, my stuff, my sounds pretty good. Cause I, cause I sort of know, like I can get away with a little bit more treble and it could be a little bit more annoying because it's going to be a lot more aggressive and people expect that out of aggressive guitar. When you're right. playing a country band. Like people want a warm edge. They don't really want like razor blades. Um, and I know right. some players were like really good at the really good at the razor blade thing. Uh, Roy Buchanan. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I'm not Roy Buchanan and I don't want to sound like Roy Buchanan because I'd like to be able to keep my hearing on into my forties. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you've not hear, heard Roy Buchanan, basically take a razor blade and cut paper with it. And that's the sound of yeah. Roy Buchanan. Um, he's a great player. Was a great yeah. player, but uh, I mean, so much soul there. But it's hard to listen to him because of the amount of treble that that dude was like playing with. Um, yeah, my uncle used to turn the treble all the way down on the stereo to bring the bass on. You know, the old EQs. Yeah, it looked like this right. it was slanted, like, like slanted a the other way. Yeah. I well, you know, I'm the guy that also like turns my presence all the way down. Depending on the yeah. present circuit, obviously in some amps you can't get away with that, but I will, if I can, I can just get rid of all that stuff. Like I don't need it. It's not, so that stuff disappears in a mix anyway. And maybe that's part of why I'm having problems with this idea of having those frequencies in my stuff. Um, I think that um, I'm doing that and I'm in these band situations or symbols going on, you know, and nobody can hear it anyway. Maybe I'm hearing it, but nobody else can. And so, yeah, um, it just dry, it drives me nuts though, because I tweak my sounds for how they're supposed to sound live at home. And then, you know, they don't sound great. So oh, I'm yeah. still, I'm still frustrated, man. You like, you can tell I'm down. I'm like, crap, this sucks. Um, so anyway, what do you got going on, Jim? You, you know, you got, you got lots of music stuff going on, right? Like you're, you're working at guitar center, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, 
I uh, am personally selling. I actually sold my Strat today, my Deluxe. How'd that go? There's for a you? change. There's a change coming. I got what I wanted, so I'm happy. Um, and I'm selling the uh, Deluxe Telly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not going to be Stratless by any stretch of the imagination. Um, or tellyless. Is there such a thing as tellyless? Yes, I, I am um, tellyless. <laughs> there you go. Tellyless. Uh, but as far as um, that kind of thing goes, uh, it's... So how do I say this? There's a change coming to my strategy. But I don't want to say anything because I jinx myself too often. You buy so. a sir? No, no, <laughs> not a sir. I would not do that. To no, he's going to buy the the, the uh, ultra. What? That's my prediction. Why do that? That's my prediction. Is Jim is going to buy the ultra because Jim has a tendency, and and I'm saying this to our listeners. This is breaking the fourth wall. Uh, Jim yeah. has a tendency <laughs> to uh, have to have the best of what he buys, so he's going to buy the ultra. And I'm going to laugh because I'm like, you should have just saved a thousand bucks and just bought like a standard professional or whatever. Yeah, that's Um, that's my opinion. I'm sticking to it. My the difference in price. Between the ultra. All right. From the performer, which is the basic, the bare bones, basic American, the professional. Right, that's the next one up. Mm-hmm. That's the standard now, or was the standard now? The professional <clears throat> and the ultra for me, all the way through those price points, is only a few hundred dollars. And the difference between the the professional and the ultra, because of the way the margins work and the way our our, our mm-hmm. discount works, is literally just two hundred dollars. Even so, that's more of a reason not to buy one. And 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 that just means to me that there that there's an insane markup because it's a because it's the high end version, and so it really they're basically telling you that if their cost is that, it's not that much better. It's two hundred dollars better than the one below it, and two hundred dollars at that price point. I mean, I, I I'm, I'm just well. There's percentages in there. There's there's differences in the way that we get it. So it's not because that they're two hundred. No, I'm just saying. So, like, if you think about it in the from that perspective, if there's if the markup is really perceived value, which is that's what that seems to indicate, um, I will say that there isn't a killer feature on the ultra that would have me buy one over over a professional. And believe me, I'm a strat guy. Like, you know, you died in the wool. Like, I I know my my stratocasters. I I honestly don't know that I would buy a Fender, any Fender Stratocaster at this point, because I haven't been super happy with anything um, I played from them lately. Um, But uh, I would definitely consider. What is my daughter yelling about? We're podcasting. I don't know. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, yeah, the door's closed. There's nobody in there. She's yelling at the TV or something. Anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, folks, you you know my family. They're in the background all the time. Uh, I live in a 900-square-foot condo. I apologize. Um, anyway, <laughs> if, if you can't handle it, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I just – I don't know that – so, like, 
I've played some strat like instruments I've liked lately. Um, I, I can't get that stupid music man out of my head. Um, and I think that's a real possibility for my next guitar, but, um, I really feel like even GNL at this point, um, I'm more interested in their non strat strats, um, like yeah. the, the Skyhawk, um, than I am buying like another legacy or another S 500. And I think part of it's just because I'm burnt out on maple on maple. Um, I know that that's part of the reason why my guitars are too bright. Um, and I could definitely see myself going to a Rosewood neck next time. But, uh, again, that's a feature I could get from any manufacturer. I'm, I mean, I'm even looking at the Schecter, um, the Schecter equivalents and stuff and just saying like, I, the features I really want are stainless steel frets and nobody's doing them in strats. Um, unless you go to Sir, you know, and you're going to pay Buku bucks for that. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, the industry needs to change for me because I'm like, for me to be like excited anymore because I'm, I'm to the point where the traditionalist stuff doesn't do anything for me unless it's like some super expensive vintage piece. But the stuff that like Gibson's putting out today, that's a kind of a traditionalist idea. Like, oh, we're going to put this list Paul out. That's like the ones in the fifties just doesn't do anything for me. Um, it's not the high performance features or anything. It's just the fact that like we have these modern things that are available to us, like stainless steel frets that require us not to spend 50 bucks on setups every quarter. Um, right. I, I, it just boggles my mind that uh, more companies are not embracing this stuff because they have the, fenders not getting any money because people are having to have their guitars set up. I mean, they might be, that might be an improvement in the dealer relationship, but ultimately like, I don't think most of their dealer, not, most of the Fender dealers are not making money. You got to wonder that. Okay. So we know that that's the one thing. There's one thing that, that Fender left out of the Ultra. Everybody said, why is it left out? What's the one thing that they could have put in the Ultra and they didn't? I mean, I saw, I thought stainless steel myself. Yeah. Stainless steel friends, right? But, there's but other, if they there have a margin. I didn't like about it too, but. Yeah, there's a lot of things that, that especially traditionalists don't like about it. And and some people don't like even even with the modern Well, stuff. I just thought the neck but I thought the neck heel could have been better. I think I think they they kind of screwed that one up. Cuz it's like, "Oh, well, we're just going to well, we're just going to sculpt it." Um everybody else has sculpted it. I, if I'm going to spend $2,000 on a guitar, I'm going to go buy a CE that has almost no heel. Um, if I'm going to, if I'm looking for high performance. Right. Right. So, um, what was I saying? Oh, but what I think they might've done is left themselves room in that margin so that later they could put the stainless steel frets in. Don't change the price. Don't move the price. It's possibility. I don't think so though. I think, I think if they do the, uh, stainless steel that well, first off, they have to retool, um, which that means that cost has to be passed off to the consumer in some way. Because you can't do it with standard tooling, you'll you'll tear your equipment up. Um, and furthermore, I think they they're afraid of it. Um, I I think a lot of companies are afraid of it. I think Gibson's afraid of it too, and I think that's be, because of number one the increased cost, but also because for them it signals that they're going modern and there are still people out there that believe that the tonal differences between stainless steel and nickel are enough for you not to find an instrument. 
That's what I was going to say. Um, so that that's another thing that comes in is it's a possibility that somebody's going to say, hey, wait a minute. I don't want right. stainless steel. And now you guys are putting it on the guitar. I just got done saying I wanted it. But but the thing is, that's that's where it – all right. To me, the, the, the Les Paul standard, okay, is the standard. Boom. Done. Okay. Done. It, you got a 50s. You got a 60s. You got the um, P90s. Done. Now, same with the SG. Standard. Right? And you got the 61. Okay. So you got the standard. You got the 61. Okay. It, it, that's nice and easy, right? Now, in Fender, you've got the professional. Here's the professional. Mm -hmm. There it is. There's the, there's the standard, which I don't know why they went away from it, but for the wording, but whatever, whatever. That's the standard. That's the old fashioned. This is your your guitar. It doesn't have a sculpting. It doesn't have anything. Doesn't have anything. Uh, noiseless pickups. Doesn't have any of that crap. It is what you expect. It doesn't even have locking tuners. Okay. So now, Ultra, Ultra is the one where you can do that. You can uh, do those things to it. To to me, that's what that's where you would do it. Just like the modern. Gibson said the modern's where we're going to screw it up. We're going to we're going to make it modern and we're going to do all these things. But if you don't want modern, don't worry about it. The standard is going to stay the standard. You know what I think they're really afraid of? Um and I and I can I can give you some evidence of this, but um I think both Fender and Gibson are afraid that uh their setups would have to improve. Their factory setups would have to improve for stainless guitars to sell at guitar center specifically. Because the guitars don't get highly set up out of the box. And um, the, the evidence I can give you of this is like in, in Gibson's case, um, they just got off this whole tinge where they were putting on those those adjustable nuts because they can't cut a nut to save their lives. And that is something that a lot of people have bitched about for years is that Gibson can't cut a nut. Um, and and almost everybody I know who buys either a Les Paul or an SG, the first thing they do is they rip the nut off and they put a correct one on, um, regardless of whether they're really a problem because it's it's got to the point where it's just like no, they they don't know how to do it anyway, so you just don't take that chance. Um, obviously you could measure it, and you could find out quickly enough, but uh, I I mean personally I didn't I didn't rip the nut off my SG, but I was told it was an aftermarket nut. So my assumption is that Chicago Music Exchange changed it when I bought it. They bought it, they changed it before it even hit the shelf. Um, which should tell you something. Um that's I think that they realize if they do something like stainless steel where the fretwork has to be pretty much flawless coming out of the factory and that the neck has to be properly adjusted in the store for an, for another for a player to like really bite on it, um that's gonna be a problem. So that that's kind of what I want to lead into here. So if you were to do stainless steel, here's the deal. You don't you don't ever have to have fret work done. Um I mean at least not unless you damage it. Um as long as you're using, you know, nickel regular alloy strings, right? Um the the regular stuff you buy. Uh the strings will break before your frets start to grind. Um and they're slippery, et cetera. Like there's playability bonuses. But the main thing is when you get a neck that has um, nickel frets, they can be worked on. And so if it comes into a dealer and the dealer's not happy with the way the guitar plays and it's because there's a high fret or a low fret, 
they can send it into the um, repair room. The guy comes in this once a week or whatever, and he and he just knocks it out real quick, and then they put it back on the shelf, and it sells, right? Um, whereas if it's stainless steel, some people won't work on stainless first off because the tools um, get chewed up faster, but also uh, that setup is much more critical because the number one, the, the tonality differences, um, you're going to notice the brightness more if you're having more front rattle with stainless steel. That's just that's just the way it is. Um, but also because the uh, it's it's almost an unalterable from the setup perspective. So anybody who's ever picked a guitar out of a box when it comes from the factory knows that the neck is never perfect. It needs to be adjusted. Um, I've had people tell me, oh, they're almost dead on. Adjust it. Don't tell me it's almost dead on. Because you basically just shipped it across three climates or four climates, depending on where it's coming from. There's no way in hell that guitar is in proper intonation when it comes out of the box. And even if it is, there's no way in hell it's going to stay that way over the next six weeks after it comes out of the box because it's going to adjust the humidity and stuff in the room. And actually, that's part of the reason why I'm complaining about my uh, my S500 tonight was because uh, I had just taken out of the bag from the gig the other night. <clears throat> it was at my parents' location for a while. They had a dry house. Um, I was having some fret sprout and stuff. Uh, there was no fret spread on the guitar when I took it out of the box, so I know it's acclimated somewhat to my environment, but the neck was definitely not in proper alignment, and it probably needs to be tweaked, um, which is causing a lot of fret rattle. Again, that guitar's got nickel frets too, though, um, and I've been joking with people that I'm trying to wear it out so I can put stainless on it because I'm just sick and tired, and, th and this is my complaint. So I think people who really, really like nickel frets don't play much guitar because if you play guitar – you'll realize that your guitar doesn't play the same after you've had five or 10 setups done to it where they've actually had to, to crown the frets. They start to wear down and they wear down fairly quickly. And I've had guitars where I got them and somebody had completely worn out the frets. I took them in. The guy told me, oh yeah, we'll just, we'll, we'll shape it up for you. And then you get it back and the frets are like a millimeter high. And you're going, this is not what I had before. Like I had way more fret material here. What did you do? And they had to crown it. And like, I don't fault them. They did what they had to do to make the guitar playable. But ultimately, it doesn't play the way it did before because there's not as much material there. So that's where I'm kind of at with my with my S500 is that I've had enough setups done to it now. And I played enough of it that my frets are getting lower and I don't like it. And I can sense that little bitty difference between when I got it new and what I have now. That's why I want stainless steel, because I don't want the guitar to change over time. I really don't. I want it to play factory new in proper playing condition right when I get it. And I don't want to have to worry about, oh man, is this fret going to be too low because I've been I've been playing this one song and it uses this one bend right here and it's really bad, um, which basically is what happens. Um, and it becomes annoying. It doesn't play right and it doesn't feel right and it just ticks me off. And I know I've got a really good guitar and I spent a lot of money on it, but it doesn't play the way I want it to. Um, and that's what this is all about. I mean, we want guitars to play and sound the way we want them to. So stop trying to give us something that's going to change over time. That's why I'm freaking frustrated with with Gibson and Fender on this. And it's not just them. There are other companies that won't do it either. Um, just stop trying to pretend like guitars get better with age. They don't necessarily. Usually a guitar that's better with age was probably better to begin with. You know what I'm saying? 
vintage guitars I, I i've long speculated it has to do with the manufacturing that went on in the 1950s and 60s and 70s that made those guitars great it has nothing to do with the aging process oh the wood dried out cut the crap you put lacquer on top of it where do you think that moisture is gonna go i mean i just i just don't i don't buy it especially guitars from the 70s and 80s because by that time they were using urethane lacquer they were using urethane plastic it's it's a it's a paint that that goes over and holds in moisture. So you can't tell me a guitar gets better with age. It doesn't. I just I don't believe that. I think it was just good wood to begin with, and we used it all. <laughs> and the, and the construction methods, you know, that's that's a big part of it too. But um, yeah, I would love to. I've been thinking about buying vintage man. Um, but I, yeah, who's got the money for that? Unless you're going to rob somebody and find some $400, you know, pawn shop prize that nobody knew they had, you know, then you'd be robbing somebody blind. I don't feel comfortable doing that either. So I can rip the frets out and put stainless steel in it. So, because <laughs> I don't right, want it to change. Speaking of that, speaking of that, so I watch sometimes this thing called Trogley's Yeah, yeah, I watch, show. It, I watch the show too sometimes. And uh, I'm like, I don't understand how he makes money. He he buys guitars for people. So he'll buy a guitar. He'll do a video yeah, of a the broker. guitar. Right. Then he charges the person for the video. He charges the person for the brokerage. And then he and then he sends the guitar. I'm like, who's who's using this guy? Yeah, authentication I mean, services and that whole thing. Yeah. That's that's essentially he, what he's um, what he's selling is authentication services. Yeah, but some of the stuff, I mean, I understand it. If you're buying a $12,000 guitar, $15,000, nobody needs to authenticate a $500 guitar. That's what and I'm I saying. see him authenticate $500 guitars. Tons. Why? Of why? That's what I'm saying. Why? It's not an investment piece. That that's, you know, that's another mind boggling part of the vintage industry is the student model guitars that have had this revival where it's like, oh, these guitars are great. Duosonics specifically, right? I'm, I'm looking at you. Um, look, I get that some bands have used Duosonics. I get that they're a playable instrument. I get that they're, you know, there, there's certain things that people like about Duosonics. But I'm also going to be the guy that tells you, it's a Duosonic. It was never meant to be a professional level instrument. Like, stop it. And and Silvertone and um, you know some of these other brands that were were basically beginner guitars now have this resurgent revival thing, um, and uh, and this this revival is like it's damaging the credibility of people when they say you know I'm gonna buy a five hundred dollar guitar and it'll be worth like three grand. Nobody nobody cares that you bought a, a Tisco or whatever. That that this market is That's, like a bubble. It's gonna it's gonna pop. Nobody wants those guitars. They really don't. Well, that's what I'm saying. A lot of the a lot of the guitars that are hitting the market now, were sitting around mainly because there wasn't really any um, resale. And now, you know, like the quote unquote Norland era's Les Pauls, right? I mean, people people hated them when they were new. They hated them when they were. You, now all of a sudden. I think it's because people are going, well, I still want an old Les Paul. So I got to, now I got to buy a Norland because I can't afford to get it. 
And that drives prices. Yeah. So, and that's another thing. The, the, that's a collector's idea. I got to have an older guitar. Nobody thinks that Norlin era guitars, which correct for was like 90 or like prior to 1990, like 80, like 80s guitars, basically between 1980 and 1990. Nobody's sitting around saying, man, those guitars are really desirable. We really want 80s Les Pauls, except for collectors. Um, <laughs> the 80s was not a period that was kind to Gibson. Um, and Gibson was not kind to the 80s. And so that's why I hear this stuff like people talking about, oh, I want my my I heard somebody say the other day, I got a vintage strat. I overheard the conversation. I was not involved in the conversation because I would have I would have flipped my mind on this guy. He says, Yeah, it's a 91. Who vintage means desirable, does it not? I mean it means old, but also desirable. Well always it's just old. So Right. I mean, you could call anything that's 20 years older, 20 years old or older is no. vintage. So the Norland era, by the way, the Norland era was from 1970 to 1983. And some have, get, have it to 1985. So that's your. I guess you're right. That's your Norland area. And then you've got Jeskowitz who comes right. in, right? He comes in after Norland. Right. But. And I, so he did, he did a review of two count of two of, uh, of the Firebird X's. Yeah. We have one sitting in a local shop. Yeah. It's going to anyway, sit for yeah, years. Know. That's right. This one will never sell. Anyway. Um, yeah. Nobody you wants it. It's thing. useless. It's, it's useless. It's still a turd. And, and here's the thing. So um, he said, I really like these guitars. I think they're great guitars. And then he goes on to say this. And I'm like, first of all, you admit you're not a great guitar player. I mean, I'm he's not, not saying. Yeah, I mean, he's not a, he's not and, uh, bashful about that. He's not really. Yeah. And he's not really a player. He's a he's a broker. That's what he does. Yeah. I mean, he's not really a guitar player. So I'm not going to take his word for it when he starts saying. Yeah, this guitar is great. And he goes over and over and over um, with with the first one that he did a review on. And then the volume wouldn't work. The volume pot didn't do anything. I mean, uh, Trogli, any other guitar, you would say the volume pot doesn't work. That's a problem. You're talking about this super high-powered guitar. Supposedly doesn't. And then um, so he said, you should watch these videos. And one of the videos was Anderton's when they reviewed him. I guess Anderton's got him in, right? Yeah, well, Anderton's was looking at him, and they were both were like, yeah, these are not, they're not my kind of guy. They can't, Anderton's can't yeah, go on these guitars. Yeah, right. Right. So they went, well, this guitar really isn't for me, but, and they tried to say, well, maybe a person in a studio would like this. because, And I'm like, no, because they're going to want their own effects. They built all these effects into that thing. That was the whole thing. The robot tuners and the, and the effects. None of which anybody wants in a guitar. Yeah. Um, so back for the my comment on the student level thing. I want to I clarify. I'm, oh, 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 wait, wait. I, I want to say one more thing about the Firebird yeah. X. So 
Chappers accidentally turned his off. <laughs> no, that's good. <laughs> Demo. Yeah. Because right before that, they had said, oh, yeah, you could you you probably can't accidentally turn it off. Accidentally turn it off. And he's like, oh, wait for it. He holds the button down because it takes five seconds for the computer yeah. to reboot. Well, my Kemper, my <laughs> Kemper like, takes a minute and a half to boot. Oh, I yeah. mean, it takes yeah. a long time. Um, and people are like, but you're not going to accidentally turn it off. Now you could power uh, it. If the power goes out. That's I had what I'm that power it. <laughs> that I could see. Yeah, but if your power goes out, you're also not going to have your guitar amp no, either. Right. I mean, if you right. had a regular. But it's going to come right back on. <laughs> I don't know. A tube amp might take yeah, a few seconds. It depends. Um, so I, I was, I'm, I'm giving crap about beginner guitars from the 60s and 70s and 50s. Look, I'm not saying the guitars aren't playable. I'm not saying they're not better than what's being made today. I'm just saying that keep in mind what they are. Um, and I know there's a desirable market for right. this, but that does not mean the beginner guitars of today will be looked at in the same way. I'm f- I'm freely willing to admit at this point that none of the guitars I have, because they're not vintage, are as good as their vintage counterparts. Now, my that the course exception that rules i have i have a keezel right so there's no vintage counterpart to a seven string headless guitar um <laughs> that is a totally modern like unique thing but my my copy les paul if i went back and got a greco i mean that's going to be better than my copy les paul my uh my s500 if i went back and i got a gnl s500 from the 80s or if I went back even further and got a Strat with hot pickups from the 60s, like a 61 or a 62, um, I think I would not care about my S500 as much if you, if you catch my drift. I, and, and that's basically what I'm getting at is that uh, I know what I have is inferior compared to those things, but I'm okay with it because it's a price point issue. Um, I can't afford vintage. And I, and I know people, I've had people tell me, yeah, you can. People can afford vintage. They just they just pretend like they can't. No, listen, I've gone to places and I've seen the price tags and I've said to myself, even though I'm a great player or whatever, whatever you want to call me, whether I'm a good player or a terrible player, I don't care. Um, I can't afford it. I just can't. Like, I can't take the hit in my pocketbook. And I don't believe in some of the the vintage mystique voodoo either. I have certainly played some vintage guitars that were definitely better than things I own. Um, But I'm not going to pretend that... uh, what I own is crap either. Um, and so I think, I don't know, it's just a happy middle ground. You gotta, you gotta find that happy middle ground. So I, I feel bad cause I, I made fun of Tisco and stuff, but Tisco's crap. Well, I've never played a Tisco you know, I, I liked. So yeah, I, I wouldn't. Okay. So for, um, uh, for Les Paul's from the seventies. All right. Let's say you were looking at Les Paul from the seventies. Right. I don't think, I don't think you would pay. Honestly, I, I would have no problem paying less money for a guitar from the seventies. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like then, getting a cheaper one, right? But that's my point: is that that's still so. Like, if I'm, I don't think you can do that. I think the seventies Les Paul has now achieved that status of being desirable. And so it's going to be over the $2,500 mark of a standard. Um, now I, yeah, I, I don't know. I think you could find, I mean, I, I may be wrong, 
Let's go on yep. reverb here. I'm, I'm already there. Um, yep. And I'm going to look for uh, 70s. Let's pop. Five thousand, right. six thousand, thirty-two hundred, thirty-one hundred. Um, here's one list is twenty-seven ninety-nine. I do not believe that's an actual seventies. Yeah, so they they're definitely pricier than a one thousand. Where? Never mind. That's that's a seventies tribute. No, no. How can you have a seventies tribute? What because tribute? Jim, they're now desirable. This is what I said. Gibson now makes. 70 style Les Pauls. Use. Which is absolutely insane to me because nobody wants. And we them. want the years to be the 70s. Like nobody's, nobody goes out and says, man, I, I just really that. want to get that 70s Les Paul. Let's go. Les Paul. I mean, not standard. that there are good ones. Again, I, I want to downplay that. If you go to Chicago Music Exchange and you pick up 10, you might find a 70s one you just love. Um, And there are good ones in any crowd, but. There's a lot of crap ones too. <laughs> um, and that's what you gotta remember. All right, let's go 1970 to 1988. All right. And I got 196 of them. And I only want them used. How can it be new? How can anything be new? Oh, I see it can be mint. All right, low to high. Twenty-seven ninety-nine. Twenty-six forty-five. Twenty-four sixty-five, actually. I don't know what somebody did to that. Twenty-seven. Now see, I would I would have no problem offering somebody who's got a guitar listed for twenty-seven ninety-nine. Twenty after watching Trogley, I'd offer him twenty three hundred bucks. I don't know. I'm I, seeing some here that are going for a lot more than that. I think when you get into the Norland era, which is like 1978, 1979, they start putting Kalers on them. The prices drop like a rock. Um, yep. And Nobody I'm not Kalers. buying a Kaler equipped one. There are some that are obviously fake too. I'm looking, there's a Les Paul standard tobacco that sold for 945 in fair condition, and it's clearly fake. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, but that only went for 945. And that's my point is that like once you get into these kind of things, like you're getting into pedigree and stuff. I would still hesitate to guess if you were to buy one of these from a shop, not from a private seller, you know, a, a dyed in the wool vetted shop, you're going to be looking at three grand. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I get it because because all the ones I'm seeing that are going for cheaper than that, like 1100, 1200, 1300, they're all Northern era. They're 97. They're like late 70s, 78, 79. Um, yeah. Here's a here's a studio with a freaking. Uh, uh, Gibson, I, I guess that's the uh, Kaler Bridge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you got to remember back then they didn't, they weren't all standards either. Some are, some are studios and stuff because that started happening around that time where they were making yeah. cheaper models. So, yep. Yeah, they were trying to save yeah, money. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, like, weren't they making uh, Les Pauls back then that didn't have uh, pick guards and stuff? Because they were trying to get away from like having all these extra parts. Oh, it's yeah. hilarious to me. Um, but anyway, um, I don't know. Yeah, this guy, I, I wouldn't I would have a problem offering. Uh, uh, this guy's got 351 reviews and five stars. I mean, I'm just saying I don't know that I would necessarily play a 1970s Les Paul on sight unseen. Um, 
No, no, no. I'm just saying I would be comfortable offering like 1500 bucks. Yeah, yeah, and they might bucks. and they might bite. But uh yep. see, that's really funny because I thought there were more than that. I, I I haven't seen one here in the list that's a that's around a thousand bucks. And I'm by the way, I'm looking at sold listings, Jim. So there's a couple oh, yeah, you're there's a couple cool. that are like here's a here's a seventy eight for eleven hundred, but that's a seventy eight. Yeah. Has that funky bridge on it. So I think I think the price is still at a standard level, maybe maybe slightly higher. But here's here's what's funky. Here's what you can do in that era. era. And you can get a guitar that was a copy. That's what I was going to say. Get a Greco that, or a Global or an Ibanez or a Tokai or um, – Yep. And I, There's a Greco here that looks beautiful. Yeah, but just remember that they're maple-necked. So yes, that's, that's true. the one thing that everybody forgets. It's like, oh, well, I bought this Les Paul, and it doesn't sound exactly like a Les Paul, but it sounds really good. It's because yeah. the maple neck. Maple neck. <coughs> Got to be yeah. brighter. And, and you know what? That's that's cool. Actually, I think um, having a Greco or something is probably just as good, in my opinion, because um, it's got a lot of yeah. color and flavor to it, as long as it's a good one. Because, I again, I played some crappy Made in Japan um, Les Paul knockoffs. Oh, yeah. um, and sight unseen is hard. Yeah, because I mean, the, while we all know headstock breaks, I mean that's that's a huge issue. Um, which, in fact, yep. I was going to look that eleven hundred dollar one, the seventy eight I saw. I wonder if it has a headstock break. If that's why it's marked down. Uh, that's a possibility. A lot of the Tokai's, I think it was Tokai, um, and o- Orville is another one to watch for. Yeah, Orville's. The Orville's. Yeah. That's the Japanese uh, Gibson brand. Yep. Yeah, it was li- it was literally Gibson. 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 Yeah. yeah, that's Gibson. fine. Gibson, Gibson, Gibson works. Gibson. Yeah. Um. So you might be right on that. You might be able to snag a 1970s Paul cheaper than new. Um. I still think if you're going to do that, you might as well look for a 90s Les Paul because I think the stuff they were doing in the 90s is freaking great. Um. And I think oh, it yeah. doesn't get the the fair shake that it deserves. Um. So I guess I, we were taught, we went down this path. I'm trying to remember how we started on this. We went down this path because we were talking about um, why stainless steel doesn't get used more often um, in the production of guitars. And I guess there is the traditionalist, you know, approach. And I think yeah. that people have an expectation for tradition. Um, yep. I just like part of me is, yeah, tradition's great. I think we need traditional instruments. But we also need to change with the times too and offer options. And the problem with Fender and Gibson is they are so traditionalist and they get they get crucified if they do anything non-traditional that we're stuck with tradition. I mean the electric guitar as we know it was established in the 50s, perfected in the 60s, and has stayed that way since. And yes, we've made some modifications and done some different things, but none of those have stuck. Because they'd stuck, we'd all be you know, playing Kramers today. I'd say this. I just I just found an eighty-eight Alpine White Les Paul kind of Loveland right now. All right, um, this this is what I'll say. Sometimes you don't need to make a better wheel or a, a better um, what is it? A better uh, what's the, what's the analogy people say? There's no reason to make a better. I don't know. People are I don't. Um, you know why? I mean, now I, I understand wheels. That's a, that's a bad one because wheels, and traction, and all this other stuff. So it's a horrible. 
But there's somebody that said, oh, mousetrap. Yeah, build a mousetrap. No, a mousetrap is a pretty easy thing. Uh, Glue traps are horrendous, by the way. Terrible, inhumane things, even to mice. um, So if I'm looking at a guitar, in all reality, you're right. They perfected them in the 60s. Well, they've only perfected them because we haven't allowed them to, to develop any further. It's the, it's the audience, like the, the player that buys them, has not allowed them to develop further. So something like, you know, we, we talk, we make fun of the Firebird X. We, we've made fun of it in this episode. Right. Um, but we're also part of the problem because the Firebird X could have been the next step. And everybody just looked at it, it and couldn't. went, no. Um, we, we dismissed it before we gave it a shot. And um, right. that's, I, actually, there was a time in guitar history when the, when the Telecaster came out where people were dismissing electric guitars. It really wasn't until some famous players got behind them, um, that they called them Spanish-style Spanish electric guitars, um, that they started, they started <laughs> to take off. And uh, I really kind of, I think that's kind of where we are with modern guitars, that people are still playing Les Pauls, Strats, Telecasters, and SGs because... That's the default, and hey, let's let's ask let's ask this question, and folks chime in in the group. Let's say you had to build the better bass trap. So now you're like, okay, guitar. Uh, you've got you've got the big. Uh, five, I'm going to say the big five, okay? Because you got Stratocaster, you've got Telecaster, you've got SG. Got Les Paul, and you got 335. Let's just say that that's, let's say those were the only five guitars that were in existence. All right. So the gem doesn't exist. None of those other guitars exist. How are you going to design it better? I think they did. I think they already have, just nobody's buying them or they're not, they haven't become the, the standard. I would, I, this is my hypothetical. In a hundred years, when people are looking back at the music from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, the guitar-based music, and they're performing it um, like chamber music, because it, it will happen, right? We, are, we have groups that play uh, folk music from the late 1800s today, um, ethnomusicologists and, and the like. Um, do you think they're going to be playing these vintage Les Pauls, or are they going to be playing something that could do all of these different songs in these styles of music and play the entire repertoire because that's that's what's kind of disparaging to me is that there's a feature distinction between these guitars too they don't sound the same they don't they aren't even capable of doing the same things in a lot of ways So like you're not going to find a les paul that has a vibrato bar on it that sounds like what people think a les paul sounds like you know what i mean um and so I think that the future is a jack of all trades. Um, and if you look in the development of, of instruments, uh, specifically like the guitar is a great one because we're all probably pretty aware of it. Um, the the acoustic guitar as we know it was like this whole other thing um, prior, you know, like the classical guitars that came out of the lute and then they were building all these different types of harp guitars and stuff. Um, and then they kind of settled on the classical design, right? Which was this gut stringed instrument with six strings and frets. And, you know, in, in when they ratified new standard to our standard tuning, 
um then they started to use not standard tuning but they ratified uh, the uh, 12 tone system um and then they did in vienna and then they started making guitars that fit that 12 tone system rather than pythagorean tuning um the the classical guitar did not really change much from the development of like here's an equal temperament guitar to you know modern times that's a classical guitar it has not changed much um now we use nylon strings you know i mean that's uh, obviously the construction methods have changed a little bit um because we don't use the same kinds of glues and they've got better bracing and engineering for that kind of stuff but essentially like you can get a classical guitar that's pretty much the same classical guitar they were using in 1890. Um, same woods. Even the woods are standardized in classical guitars. I mean, it's it's like people expect certain woods and things like that. Um, acoustic guitars are kind of a similar story. The steel string acoustic, which happened in the 1800s. Um, and it was, a, it was a need to increase the volume level. And so they went back to the idea of the harp guitar which was this, you know, thing with six strings and then drone strings that dr that uh, drone sympathetically to increase the volume of the instrument, and those went on for a long time because they were just trying to do anything they could to make them louder, and then they developed the, the dreadnought came out as part of that as well because it was like, well, bigger body, louder sound, right? Um, and now we have like a pretty standardized approach to acoustic guitar as well. I think most people. Now, granted, we're still playing around with wood choice. I think some of that's luxury, more more than necessity. But like spruce tops and things like that, cedar, you know, normal woods that we've been using for what almost a hundred years. And most acoustic guitars. Now, granted, we do do the Venetian cutaway today, but most people who think of an acoustic guitar aren't thinking of a Venetian cutaway acoustic. They're thinking of you know a guitar that that where the body meets the neck at about the twelfth fret. DAT. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's a pretty standard thought. I don't think electric guitar has that standard thought. I think when you say to somebody, I play electric guitar, they might have an image of a Les Paul. They might have an image of an SG. They might have an image of a Strat. They might have, you know, you know what I mean? Like until you tell them what model you play or they see you play, they don't know exactly what, what electric guitar sounds like because I think it's too new. I think the instrument hasn't been around long enough to develop into a, a final form. We have not seen guitar's final form yet, electric guitar's final form. Um, hopefully, it's over 9,000 for, for those of you that uh, you know follow memes. Um, <laughs> this isn't even my final form. Um, anyway, that's why, that's why I kind of like look at it and I go, I'm cool with there being like these esoteric things. I, believe me, I play Les Pauls and Stretch just like everybody else. Um, and I'm, I'm cool with the sounds that, that are available to me. It's not like I'm searching for something new. I just want, I, I really, what I want is something that's a lot, I guess that I don't have to spend as much time maintaining. Um, and that's, uh, listen, I'm a guitar player, not a guitar maintenance guy. I don't like doing fret work. I really don't want to cut nuts. I don't like, I mean, I hate, I, I do change strings. And I, I'm not, I don't have a problem with that so much, but I hate setting my intonation when I switch string gauges. I hate messing around with the the tremolo bar and the springs and all that, um, which is amazing because I play strats. Like you think at this point that that would, you know, just not even bother me anymore, but, but it does. Um, and I really just want a guitar that's going to stay stable and not change over the life of the instrument. That's not that hard to do. We have the knowledge. We have the tools. 
you know, let's do it. Let's let's make a guitar that lasts. Um and that that will stand the test of time. I think Okay, so I will come on the other side. Of course, because you're older than me. I think that the uh <laughs> Yeah. You're all like, I I literally I am literally at the end of the boom. Yes, you realize that. Nineteen sixty four end of the boom. All right. So um I'm gonna say this. If that's my dog, but keeps groaning behind me. Like like his life is so hard. <laughs> it's just laying on the floor. He's like, shut um, up, Jim. We're tired of hearing you. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. I hear you say this so many times. Just shut up. Um, so let's look at it this way. The um if if I was uh playing guitar right today, um and I was out trying to gig, right? Um and I was, I was like, all right, what would I expect from perfect guitar? Now, not just for Jim, because obviously I love, I love Les Pauls. Let's, let's face it. I do. But they're guitar. inferior in every, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. And, and, they, and there are so <laughs> many things I admit, you know, that, that either they're heavy or whatever. I, I got to be honest. I don't find the Les Paul as heavy as, as some people put them out to be, but that's because I probably, You're because used I to it, right? You've been playing them your yeah, whole life. Well, there's that too. Is I picked up some freaking Telecasters and some Stratocasters and put them, you know. Well, you're eight fat, eight pounds, thirteen ounces in a in a Strat or a Tele. I've played Les Pauls that are let's, twelve let's, and thirteen pounds. I mean, I I think Jim yeah. I think and Jim I, also is skewing on the fact that like Les Pauls are weight relief now because they they were not that way. Yeah, that is not. I, but it, how much does that Les Paul weigh? I don't know. I would really literally have. I bet you it is weight relieved. I don't. It's a fifty standard. It's a fifty standard. They're no more weight anymore. They, oh well, news to me. News no to more me. weight relief. My SG is weight relief too. Yeah, it is. Anyway, yes, it is. It's an SG. <laughs> yeah, it's an SG exactly. That's what I was just going to say. But here's my point: we we give up certain things we need, we want for something we need. Okay, so there's a reason a Les Paul sounds like a Les Paul, right? It's a slab of mahogany with a slab of maple and a and a mahogany neck with either a um, some dark wood uh, fretboard normally, yeah. right? Um, whether that dark wood is rosewood or it's ebony. If we went to the le- the um, SG, same thing. It's a it's a lighter guitar, but it's a slab of mahogany with a mahogany neck and a rosewood or a uh, an ebony. Uh, uh, fretboard right so what makes them what makes an sg sound like an sg what makes a les paul sound like other than the pickups right we we are we all know about that but everybody has to admit you have to admit it. if you put strap pickups in a les paul you do not sound like a strap i don't care how hard you try you don't and if you put um les paul pickups in a strap you don't sound like a les paul i'm sorry you just don't right you don't even sound like an sg you sound like a Strat with Les Paul pickups, and here's the. So I'll, I'll get to, I'll get to my my point here. Is this so? One of the things that you referred to, where okay, the guitar it, it, in weather it does this, it does that, right? It's because it's made yes. of wood, and and we have not found. We've tried. I'm not saying it won't happen. We have not found 
and altered it. Um, I, 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 have, I have the perfect David, refute David to this. Um, the, they have not found the right um, material to replace wood in all situations. I'm not saying that I, I, I have, I will agree. If you're going to point me to Emerald acoustic guitars, no. I love them, uh, okay. the, but they're also $4,000, thirty five. All right. So yes. All right. So we're still using wood, right? But that doesn't mean we can't improve wood. And we have done this and we have done it many, many times from many different manufacturers, including Vigier, Kiesel, um, Carbon was doing it before too with the, with the carbon fiber truss rods. Vigier doesn't even put a truss rod in their guitar. It is literally carbon fiber rods in the neck. They don't ship. Um, we've had what, uh, both Parker and, uh, um, who's the other company? Um, the other headless guys, uh, Steinberger who, who I did it too. I, th this is, th this is basic stuff. This is things that they can do that they haven't done because it's not traditional. Um, and it would take one of the big two to make the switch in order for other people to catch on. And I don't expect, and I'm not asking Fender or Gibson to change across the line. I think that's a silly idea. I just think that they need to offer a guitar for a modern player. Um, not everybody is into super vintage stuff. And I'm not, believe me, I am not a metal player by any stretch of the imagination. Right. Um, but I, I find myself gravitating towards those guitars because the feature set is totally different than what you're going to get from a Les Paul or a Strat or a Telecaster or an SG or a 335. I want to see guitars that offer the ability to do some of those things like put stainless steel frets on them, uh, you know, give us a compound radius. That's another whole other conversation about the fact that we still are playing Les Pauls with a 12-inch radius all the way up the board. Like, I know it's not necessary to, but the modern, the moderns have it. The moderns have it. The modern, the modern Gibsons have a compound radius. Yeah. When did that? Twelve fourteen. That was there. Uh, I'll look yeah, it up right I, now. I mean, I'm not doubting they did it, but I remember them going to flat boards. They went to fourteen inch across the line, and they were like, "This is what we're going to do now." That was the wrong approach. We had compound radius boards forever. And Gibson, you have no excuse. You have freaking Plex machines. Like this is ridiculous. This is not even an issue of uh, we don't we do all our necks by hand, so we just do a single you know single thing. Yeah, it's it's compound yeah, radius. But okay, so great. That's wonderful. And for a while they were doing that to the to the standard. That's why everybody was and of course Fender, off. right. And of course vendors also do they do their compound radius on the ultra high end guitars they put out. On the ultra, and I think it, let me let me check the professional. Might no, I don't think it's on the, the pro series, but yeah, go ahead and check because I would be curious to say that. And then that's basically what I'm getting at. It's like that's a, a basic feature, right. and I think stainless steel goes in hand with that. I think locking tuners across the line go in hand with that. If if you're one of these people yes. that thinks that vintage tuners are better than locking tuners for your for your freaking guitars, what are you on? Like, I know I'm going to get hate mail for this episode, and I'm fine with it, but I will rip a set of vintage tuners off, and I will stick locking tuners on, and I will not bat an eye, because that's just, that's common sense. Like, you don't want extra wraps around the string. You don't, or around the post. You don't. 
you're you're going to have tuning issues. I don't care if you use a trim or not. <laughs> and and that's another uh, gripe I have with with Gibson is there are many many manufacturers have come up with ways to deal with the tuning instability issues of the G and D string on Gibson guitars. Gibson will not adopt any of them. Why? Because of traditionalists. So they have the modern. They're going to put a compound radius on it, but they're not going to fix the single worst problem on the instrument, which is that the G and the D string cannot stay in freaking tune. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's it's not rocket science. We have, I, I said it once, I'm going to say it again. We have the tools. We have the technology. Let's do it. Oh, I think you're right. I think what, I think with Gibson, remember what we said before, the the hardcore elitists players are not going to buy the one where they fix the problem with the no, G and the but D the people strip. that actually play every single day in in working bands and stuff will, and that and that's where I'm like, okay, build a traditionalist. I don't care. Build a traditional models. You'll probably sell more of them than the other because most of us are not gigging daily. Um, but for the rest of us, we've got this guitar we actually want. What's the problem? And I don't care. You don't even have to make it a Les Paul. If Gibson can deliver a guitar that's in the vein of Gibson, right, with the features available to it, um, then I would purchase it. But it just seems like all they want to do is do this traditional thing. They don't want to offer new models. I know that everybody says, and, and you're absolutely right when you say this. Everybody complains that, you know, Gibson comes out with a new model and nobody likes the body shape or whatever. Um, it happened with the, yep. the one that they ended up doing, uh, the, the custom shop one, the modern, yeah, the, mod, no, the modern, no, the modern or whatever it was. Um, oh, yeah, the modern, the yeah, murder, whatever, the, the most recent one they came out with, right? The one that everybody said looked like a PRS. Um, yep. Everybody complained and they're oh, like, yeah. no, we only want gives, we only want Les Pauls and SGs. I am not that guy. I am part of that like minority of group of people that were like, no, actually, that's really cool because we're tired of seeing the same crap. I mean, there's a billion Les Pauls out there and they all look alike. <laughs> Joel Holkstra is playing a modern B, by the way, um, uh, with uh, the trans yeah, I believe it. But, does, he, does he say um, beam me up? Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> He did say, he said, I know I'm going to receive a lot of hate, but this I'm is sure a great it guitar. Is. But it's also a Jessica Eric um, guitar, too. Yeah, so you were right. The Professional has just a nine and a half inch radius where the, the Ultra goes from 10 to 14. And they also changed the, uh, uh, because they changed the radius, they also changed the, uh, the net. Well, you know, and that's another, that's another interesting thing, too, is that like the radius numbers. So like Fender was seven and a half for a super long time. And then they switched to nine and a half and all the industry changed suit, right? Like they all went, Oh yeah, we're going to do nine and a half too. And now like I see a lot of Strat copies that are 12 and Fender hasn't caught up. Like they haven't realized people really don't. So the people that really want a nine and a half inch radius are kind of more i guess i they're less lead players i guess um at least in my interpretation mostly because nine and a half inch radius and don't let anyone tell you else can't get super low action and not fret out unless you do something to right. make it a compound radius 
Um, and I know That's people right. will tell you, oh, yeah, you, you can. can. You can make it not fret out. No, yeah. you're not making it not fret out. You are manually adjusting the radius of your neck to make it work. So you no longer have a nine and a half inch radius. Um, right. And that's where it it drives me crazy is because people – what are you – are you playing the violin, Jim? No, that's what they're, they're, they're oh, yeah, going along yeah. the So they're changing board, it so that the, the elliptical path of the string rings out wider. Yep. I have made the switch to 12. I will never go back. I will only play 12s or compound radius next now because I just cannot handle the freaking fretting out. It drives me insane. That's a, that is a yeah, flaw. That. that is not a feature. And anybody who tells you it's a feature, you're making your guitar perform like shit for a feature. Think about that for a minute. Is that a feature? I don't think anybody buys a BMW and says, hey, this one's, this one's features. It goes to zero to 60 in like 14 seconds. That's not a feature. <laughs> it's a safety feature. <laughs> like, no, you don't buy um, a BMW to go, to go slow. Yeah. So, it, it, all right. I was actually surprised as to when they introduced the uh, the ability for a Stratocaster to have five switches, play, five Wait, blade what did they do? positions. When they when they changed the Stratocaster, oh, yeah, that was three, like a, that was a long the, time ago. The blade, yeah, but it was it was the mid seventies. Well, yeah, and early to mid seventies. It was like seventy, and that was only done because people were wedging like matchsticks and stuff in there to get them in between, right? And that's what I was going to get at. So just like you're talking about, people are like, oh, yeah, I love the 50s. No, strat. you didn't. Because no. almost no, all you of don't. them now you find because have had that switch taken out and put a five-way in and the switch is in the case when you buy it. Because they you got to have original parts, right? Um, and and, and that's, the, yep. that's what ticks me off is that people are so traditional except for the people that actually play the traditional stuff because they, they know. Hey, this this thing had problems. Like the wood's great, the pickups are great, the electronics and hardware are great, except for you know the crap bridge I pulled out and put a new one on. The tuners I all replaced because they were rusted solid, and the uh, um, uh, the the truss rod I had to have redone because the the nut broke off. You know, like it, it, that, those are the kind of stories you hear about these vintage guitars. So yeah, they're great. I mean, I mean they do sound good, but they have to have work done to them. And again, I. I I'm like I'm like uh, Joe Bonamassa in the sense that if a guitar doesn't need to have the neck taken off, don't take the freaking neck off. Like, why would you mess with something like that? It, it wasn't me the, the, the fact that the Stratocaster has a bolt on neck doesn't mean that you're supposed to take it off. It means you leave it on and you maybe tighten it up every once in a while, but you don't take it off because yeah. you mess up the pocket. It'll never seat exactly the same way again. Um, granted, I've taken necks off guitars. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say I haven't. And they and they play the same afterwards. But I'm not. But but I I also know that I'm also I'm the guy that's complaining about every time I get my guitar set up, it comes up comes back playing differently. And I'm not talking about the setup. I'm talking about the fact that my frets have changed height. You know, like it drives me nuts. Yeah. Um. And I guess I, 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 in that way, I am a traditionalist. I'm a creature of habit. I don't want my habits to have to change because I maintain something. That that makes sense. We're in an hour and 37. I have been David. I'm a Jim. <laughs> and tonight we've been the practical guitarists. Somewhat. <laughs> <laughs>